Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we had some technical difficulties in the show this morning, and uh, which is with another station. And uh, hopefully we'll get that worked out by next week. But I have three hours of notes here to get through in just one show. So I actually scheduled 90 minutes. I guess I should have been scheduling this for 90 minutes on a regular basis, but... Anyway, we'll see if we can get through this. And what we're we're going to talk about is really the solution to everything, which is the key, keys of the kingdom. I mean, I hear in the news today about, uh, you know, building the wall and allocating funds and raising the debt ceiling. And supposedly now the the Democrats have submitted a plan that sounds absolutely ridiculous compared to what people wanted at one time. None of this is a solution, whether the Democrats get their ways or the Republicans get their ways, because none of it, that we went the wrong way. The problems we see today are the result of going the wrong way yesterday, or actually a lot longer ago than yesterday. We, we've put ourselves on a path and a road that there is no return from unless we repent. Think a different way. That's what repentance is. And so we've we've gone this other way towards socialism, towards centralizing power in the hands of a few that get to make laws that decide what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and when you can do it and how much you're going to give. And, and they're ruling over you. You're back in the bondage of Egypt. Uh, you, you really are completely back in the bondage of Egypt, and it's actually worse for you today than it was back then. But we have cell phones now, we have DVDs, we have cars, we have all these wonderful wonders, and everybody thinks, well, we're making progress. But you're actually going more and more in debt every day, every minute, and you're putting your children more and more in debt. And eventually there'll be a reckoning, and it will be a collapse of the modern-day Roman Empire, the modern-day Babylon the Great, uh, that will be unprecedented in our known history. We, we've never seen anything like what we're about to face. You know, I say about, I don't mean tomorrow necessarily, although it could come tomorrow. It may come in a year. It may come in 10 years. It may come in 50 years. But it's coming eventually because we've gone a certain path and until we turn around thinking and we've gone that way because we thought something was okay. We've been deceived. We're under a strong delusion. And all these things are talked about in the text. And I see people writing about what they say the Bible is saying. And it's just, it's just staggering how little they know of history, how little they know of the meaning of words. How little they know of the psychology of mankind, which is really the same problems you face today were being faced by people in the days of the Caesars. Same same situation, just without the cell phone, without the DVD. They still wanted your welfare, your free bread, you wanted your entertainment, 
you wanted your interaction. There was divorce and 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 uh, children being taken away or children being thrown into the streets. There was slavery. There's slavery today. You just don't call it slavery. You call it being employed. But you you're employed. You can switch employers most of the time. A third of the day, the labor that you produce, and the third of the day, you are never paid for. It's taken from you before you ever even see it. For a third of the day, you're a slave without pay. You're working without pay because a third of your pay is taken away. In Egypt, they were only to take away one-fifth of your (laughs) wages, your pay, and the rest, you, that was all, was yours. So it's actually worse for you today than it was in Egypt, despite what you saw in the movie. And that was considered bondage. Because you didn't have any choice about it. You had to give it up. And you go to other countries and they pay 40, 50, 60, 70%. People talk about minimum wage. It's all a show when they're talking about this in Congress. You know, that they have to have a decent wage that they can make a living. And so they're going to raise the minimum wage. And they talk about, oh, well, the minimum wage in Denmark and the minimum wage in Sweden. And they don't really have minimum wages in those places. It's all by negotiation and different work classes. And and and, and they may get more. They may get the equivalent of 20 corona, which is... Uh, actually, I'm not sure exactly. I had the numbers before. I have relatives and, and friends in uh, those other countries. And so we went over, you know, how much is this worth and how much. And so their minimum wage, which we're supposed to think is like $20 an hour, actually only amounts to about $15 an hour. But their taxes are way higher. So you don't get to take home as much as you would if you were in America <laughs> making the same $15 or even $10. Because even if you take $10 home in these other countries, if you wanted to buy a burger at McDonald's, it would cost you more. And so you have to realize that $10 or $15 doesn't have as much buying power. And then if you want to buy a car in Denmark, it's 150% luxury tax. On the car. So if you're going to buy a $30,000 car. You're going to have to pay $75,000 for it. <laughs> so that's why everybody's riding around on those quaint little bicycles. <laughs> because they can't afford it. You 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 cannot make something from nothing. There is no free lunch. You don't. But the real problem. The real deficit is in the breakdown of the moral character of society. And, you know, you can go read our articles on um, uh, Polybius and and uh, other people of the time who said that because the people had become accustomed to living at the expense of others, that they were being changed morally, emotionally, weakened as a society, fit for the very next dictator that comes along. And so they're talking about, well, the president's going to declare this emergency so that he can build the wall. And the Democrats came right out and said, well, then when we're in power, we can declare an emergency and confiscate your guns. And, of course, it won't be that easy, although I'm sure millions of guns will be turned in. But the reality is, is that... (laughs) 
it, it's it's moving in a certain direction. They want to disarm you. They want to control you because they they want to control. You want to go and vote because you want to control them. And it's that's the the thing you have to change in your thinking. That you know, and so anyway, I was talking to somebody, and, and I was reading some articles about people who talk about tithing, not tithing. Should I tithe? Do I have to tithe? And people misunderstand what the tithe was, and so I I wrote and added to our page on tithe. You can go to preparingyou.com and look up the word uh, tithe, and it will give you to a big long article that is broke down into all kinds of little short articles. And they're all put together so you can go from one to the other. The first one is just tithe, basically. Which tells you the meaning of the word. It comes from a word, Hebrew word, maser, which is actually, the root word is aser, which means ten. But the M is put on the front, the same as we see the M on the front of words like misbeach, which is the Hebrew word for, and I'm not doing the Hebrew pronunciation, I'm doing a phonetic pronunciation. And uh, so you can see the letters and how they're spelled. And the M is a word that always, a letter that always means flow. So they add that to the front. They're talking about something flowing. And the tithe flowed. And it flowed from where? Flowed from the tens. Because the people were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And so whatever they gave to their minister was the tithe. Because it was the flow from the ten. When we translate it or we ask Pharisees or Jews to translate it, they say, oh, no, you had to pay this 10% and and all this stuff. This is a language of metaphors and symbols, and they're trying to express ideas. The flow of your sacrifice came from the tens, and we call that tithes. And it went to somebody we called Levites, who were the firstborn of a nation, the priests of a nation. And what were they supposed to do? That serve the tabernacles. Actually, I say tabernacles of the congregation. They say tabernacle of the congregation. But it's the same word, tents. The tents of the congregation. Because it wasn't just this tabernacle they built out there in the desert and moved around as a big tent. It was all the tents that would gather around them when they had their feasts and festivals which represented all the people in what? Congregations of tens. Ten congregations of tens is a hundred. Ten congregations of a hundred is a thousand. And so on and so forth until you have five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand, hundred thousand people. And of course we see Jesus commanding that his disciples who were his student ministers Make the people sit down in the tens and in the hundreds and, and uh, actually he says tens, fifties, and hundreds in ranks of fifty and ranks of one hundred because there were five thousand men there present and their families. So it was actually talking maybe twenty, thirty thousand people. And they organized themselves in the tens, fifties, hundreds because it was five thousand. That's the way the multiple would uh, span out. And Suddenly, they had enough loaves and fishes. And everybody thinks that he just magically made them appear. And this is the sleight of hand you see in translations. It That's not what they're saying. There there was a shortage. And he says, is there any food? And the apostles say, well, the, we, need, we need more food. We can't feed everybody. 
Well, they're not talking about feeding 5,000 people. Uh, they're talking about, they didn't even have enough food. The apostles and the 70. I mean, it wasn't just 12 apostles there with Christ. It was the 12 apostles and their families and the 70, which he had already picked. And now they needed to pick more representatives. And the way they had always done it, the way the Teutons did it, the way the Jutes did it, the way the Gauls did it, was they organized 10 families, picked a guy. That guy got together with 10 other guys like himself, and that made 100 people. And they had representation, not rulers, representation. Now they needed, there was a shortage because they're out there in the wilderness. We can talk about, well, we already have talked about, you know, what time of year it was. And you can tell that from the, uh, what they actually are saying. Not always from the translation. Sometimes you have to look at the original text. But this is clearly one of the festivals. And they had this shortage. And he says, well, what do we have? And he says, we just have this uh, loaves and fishes, a few loaves and fishes. And he says, you know, bless them and give them away. So everybody knew that Jesus only had this much food up there. He hadn't eaten all day. And he they give him some food and he doesn't eat it himself. He gives it away to the people. But he doesn't do that till after he makes the people sit down in the tens, fifties, and thousands, hundreds and thousands. So that the 5,000 people are all organized in these groups of ten. And then he takes these, this meager amount and he gives it away. And everybody realizes that Jesus is going to go hungry. He's giving it away. He's not safe, He's not, not doing like we see ministers today living in mansions. He's out there with them on the desert. And he gave away all that he had. You know, he was originally rich. That's what the Bible says. He was rich and he made himself poor. All this stuff about... You know, coming from the poor, you know, humble carpenter and all this stuff. That's all made up. It's not not in the text, not in the original text. It says that Joseph was some kind of construction guy, but it doesn't say carpenter. It says that he, he was probably a stonemason. When he went down to Egypt, he probably found real big work. He happened to be living near, it when he was in Israel or Judea, he was living near places were doing a lot of building in stone he was probably pretty well off considering that his uncle was one of the richest men in the roman empire uh or at least his wife's uncle was one of the richest men in the uh, roman empire so but jesus gave up his wealth and here he was out there in the wilderness he gave up and suddenly these tens hundreds and thousands these people standing out there sitting out there suddenly had enough because they had enough, because they started to share. And you see the movies, and they, they have these baskets, and there's supposedly miraculous fish and bread showing up, like some kind of gigantic welfare state, which is the way everybody looks at things today. They say, oh, I'm going to go down and get some benefits from the government. No, you're going to go down and ask the government to take away from your neighbor and from your neighbor's children, because the government is going to borrow money to provide you with what they don't have. That's what you see in the news. They're raising the debt ceiling. For who? For your children. They're going to have to pay that back. They're going more and more into bondage. They're going to pay higher and higher taxes than you pay. Because you guys keep going down and wanting to get free stuff. 
from the government. Like it's just appearing out of the air and the baskets are just automatically filling up. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to think differently. So anyway, in talking about tithing, we see that that's what tithing is. is this flow from the tens. We know that all Christians are organized in these tens because Christ commanded that his disciples make the people organized in that way. We know that all Christians are doing that because all the early Christians did that. Now, there are a lot of people who are not really Christians. They're modern Christians. They don't do that. They're not told about that. They're told that they should be in a 500-man church or a 1,000-man church or a 10,000-man church so that they can live in million-dollar mansions and have lots of money and put up big screen TVs and everything. But if you actually want any loaves and fishes, you got to go to the men who exercise authority one over the other. you got to go to the men who don't wait for your tithes but will tax you. And that's the way it works. And so we have a section on tithe versus taxes. And we have a little picture there of the tabernacle and all the people gathered around the tabernacle. And there was all kinds of stuff about how to do that. And and you got a lot of Messianic Jews and, and maybe Orthodox Jews that want to make sure all the tents are just lined up and everything. But you go to Israel and they're not taking care of the needy of their society through charity. They're not doing it through faith, hope, or charity. They're not doing it through free ties. They're doing it through a socialist state. Israel over there is a socialist state. The Jews over here depend upon a socialist state to take care of their needy. They're not going to be free because they they do not freely give and freely receive. They force the contributions of their neighbor so that they can have free education, have the government take care of their elderly, uh, have the... Uh, you know, government take care of their health care, and they do it all through forced tithes, which we call taxation. And really, that's what it comes down to. People say, oh, you know, all these guys argue against tithes. Oh, no, tithing isn't in the New Testament. Well, you you haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Charity isn't mentioned in the Old Testament. But there was no charity until Jesus came. Before that, there was no charity. There was free will offerings. That's charity. You know, even the word treasury. We have a section on this page that talks about treasury. Point out that, you know, somebody reading one of our articles once said, oh, this guy's crazy. He thinks the, the temple at Ephesus was a bank. And, well, you go to our article on it on Reserve Fund. We have a link there, live link, or the article on Temple of Diana in Ephesus. It was a bank. The bankers will tell you it was a bank. History tells you it was a bank. That's why they found deposits of gold coin underneath it. It moved about a half a dozen times or more. It burned down once. Finally, the last place it was built was made a pretty impressive marble and, and stone. But it had the most secure vault in all the Mediterranean. Yeah, it was a bank. That's why I say it was a bank. Because you haven't heard it before doesn't make what I'm saying ridiculous. It just means you haven't heard it before. So anyway, we have a whole section on that. And we have lots of quotes and uh, lots of uh, footnotes. So you can go and check some of these things out. And Croft reference with some of the other articles we have. And even the Golden Calf was a central fund, a reserve fund, made to bind the people together. And Moses preached against it, not because it was some sort of mystical idolatry, 
but because it was taking the people back to Egypt. I mean, that's what they said. They wanted to go back to that system of Egypt. And Deuteronomy tells you that you're never to go back there. And if you elect rulers, you know, like kings or presidents or prime ministers, anybody who can exercise authority, you're supposed to write down in your constitution that he can do nothing to take you back to Egypt. Well, what was Egypt? You didn't own your land. You didn't own your livestock. You had a legal title, but you did not have a lawful title to him. So you could be taxed on all your possessions, taxed on your home, taxed on your business. You were even taxed on your labor, one-fifth. You were taxed on your labor. And uh, you were called, that was called bondage. Today we call it freedom. Because all those things are reality today. And the problem is, is that we have not, you know, we're falling, but we have not hit the sidewalk yet. But you think that air rushing by you is that you're flying. <laughs> but you're not. You're falling. So anyway, we have, you know, what treasury? We talk about that. Like the word Corbin was translated treasury. Uh, we talk about the stone upon stone. We talk about the altars of stone. We talk about the Corbanus, which was the box for the poor, because that's what... The church had to take care of the poor. And we're not just talking about any old poor. We're not talking about the lazy, um, you know, wife-beating, alcoholic, uh, drug addict poor. We're talking about people who who really work hard, who've been sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, taking care of one another as best they can, and they fall on hard times. And uh, it's... You know, I had conversations with people just this morning looking at who people who know history, know how things work, know how the law works. And they, they can see we're just headed for disaster. I don't usually like to talk about, you know, doomsday kind of stuff, but it's coming. And to, to some degree, it's already here, uh, but it's it's coming and it's going to be worse than anything that I could even conjure up. Uh, but when it comes, I don't know, but I may not be alive. My children might be still alive. My grandchildren certainly would still be alive. And it and your grandchildren might still be alive. And I have to care about your children as much as I care about my children. So, you know, I've already lived my three score and ten years. You know, I, I, I don't need to save myself. I, and as a matter of fact, I'm sticking my neck out with uh, some of the things that I'm doing because they're not going to be popular. Certainly not amongst modern Christians who will dislike and what I'm doing. So anyway, if you keep reading down the page, you'll you'll get to more and more articles and more and more, you know, seeds of righteousness is another uh, uh, section where we. And these are all written because people come up with ideas. Well, we don't have to tithe because we don't produce any farming products from the ground and ties were only stuff that was produced from the earth from you know from the ground well guess what from dust you come from dust you shall return anything you produce is fruit of the earth because you are of the earth and you're taking the metaphor looking for uh, some way of opting out no you should be tithing how who's going to take care of the needy if you're not going to do it and that, funny, some of the people I know who have said this kind of stuff, they're going to be needy. They're going to be extremely needy. 
And then they'll be coming and wanting us to provide them with food and shelter. And, and we may be able to provide a lot of people with food and shelter. But we're not going to be providing people who won't provide for others. Who won't cast their bread upon the waters. And who won't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I mean, like I said, the, one of the few things that Christ commanded was that we organize the people in that way. And so, anyway, I have another article with the side panel there on uh, dealing with tithing on living altars and explain the altars. We already explained that the altars of stone in the ancient times were actually systems of charity, systems of uh, Eucharist, Thanksgiving, opportunity to give. And the reason, you know, Christ said that you don't just take care of those you love. You have to take care of people you don't even know. This is what casting your bread upon the waters is you you don't just you know go out and throw money out the window you know hand it to some uh, guy bum on the street corner i mean you can do that certainly but that's your choice but that's not very efficient not very practical you have to get in a network that has the same kind of values that's one of the big things that we see in the world today all the legislation coming about the media is trying to destroy our values and our system of values. And they haven't been able to do it completely. They've done a pretty good job of it. But now they want to bring in foreigners by the hundreds of thousands, even millions, that don't have the same values that we used to have in America. I can't, I can't even tell you what American values are because most people won't re- realize it. America used to take care of all the poor and needy of its society through charity. It wasn't the government. In the 1800s, the government wasn't doing it. People weren't dying everywhere. Uh, the poor weren't dying everywhere. I mean, not, not like you saw in London and other places like that. They were they were actually taking care of one another and becoming more and more successful. So anyway, uh, I also have a section that looks at uh, different quotes and versions of different things. But the one I want to talk about today... And we'll get started on it. Good thing I scheduled an hour and a half. Is curses and consequences. Which is way down at the bottom. And we're going to be talking about tithing. And I could have picked a number of different articles. That uh, I would use to bounce off this. I picked one by uh, Jared Bryan. Because he said he was a logical guy. He likes to reason these things out. The problem is, is that he's not playing with a full deck. Uh, he doesn't know the history of the kingdom of God, the, what the church was doing, what ancient Israel was doing. I mean, we're supposed to think that people like Abraham, who set up altars with his neighbors, who had lived in Ur, you know, back there where Hammurabi wrote his codes, and he left with his father Terah and his brother Haran, uh, actually his brother Nahor, Haran had died, died probably because of some of the codification of laws, because you, you could, if you helped a slave escape, you, that was a death penalty. There was a lot of death penalties mixed into his laws. But these are the handwritten ordinances of Hammurabi and men like Nimrod. And, uh, they were, and you fell under the authority of these ordinances because you, ate at the table of Nimrod. 
and other leaders like Nimrod. And you, you, what should have been for your welfare had, was a snare. That's what David says. And Paul quotes David making a reference to that. Because that's, and, and that's what Plutarch is that the greatest destroyers of liberty are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And like Polybius says, it, once you become accustomed to obtaining those benefits at the expense of others, then you, you, you're you weakened to the point that you are fit for the first tyrant that comes along. And you also become a violent, angry, selfish individual, you know, a zombie who's willing to take a bite out of one another in order to fill his own hunger. So that's why Proverbs says, if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats. And usually they do this through some sort of socialist scheme where everybody has to pay in and then they make sure they rightly divide the bread from house to house. Except they won't rightly divide the bread from house to house because it's a forced offering. You've lost your power. Oh, you have a vote, but you're not going to... I mean, look at the, the criminals that have been in different governments for years and years and nobody can seem to vote them out of office. So now they think their salvation is term limits. That's not going to solve the problem. The only thing that's going to solve the problem is you start thinking differently and start acting differently and start doing differently or you're not going to you're not going to find the keys to the kingdom. Because you know what the keys to the kingdom are? Remember that? He says, I give unto you the keys to the kingdom. The next line tells you, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loose in heaven. So you've bound yourself to the unrighteous mammon. Mammon means entrusted wealth. That's what's in your treasury. That's your mammon. It's the unrighteous mammon because you filled your treasury with forced offerings, with what Samuel calls foolish offerings. Yeah, because Saul forced a sacrifice. That was the first taxes in Israel. And of course, God said they would end up doing this because if you want to have a king, that's what he's going to do. He's going to take and take and take and take. And of course, that's what happens. But you also gave him the power to borrow money against your future and against the future of your children. So he's, now every time they raise that ceiling, you're taking from your children. You're even taking from the unborn children. And so is there any wonder they cheer when they talk about uh, legalizing abortion right up to the minute of birth? And they cheer. The zombies are here already. They're running around everywhere. But there is salvation if you will repent, think a different way. And what that different way is the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is organized in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Where people gather together with the intent and hope of living by faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and violence. And that's going to that's gonna take a real huge learning curve on your part. One of the things that you're going to have to do is stay together. Not divide yourself. Not wander off. Not say, oh, I got to go do this. Or, oh, you didn't say the right magic words. And so we're not going to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands anymore. We're going to we're going to betray you because we don't really think you're a believer. 
you have no idea of the power of such choices to destroy you and to take away that which you have already seen. Because Jesus didn't didn't just come to tell you the truth. He came to tell you the truth, but he also said he came to take away. First thing he says, talks about taking the kingdom away from you because you're not bearing fruit. How do you bear fruit? You live by faith, hope, and charity. You do not bear fruit by creating a social estate and forcing the offerings of the people. That will not bear fruit. That will produce Detroit's and Baltimore's and the ghettos of Los Angeles and and which are getting, I mean, California. I mean, it's in trouble. New York's in trouble. I mean, they're blaming the fact that people, everybody who's a real producer is fleeing New York. <laughs> and... And so you're going to have nothing left but zombies. But anyway, so we're, we'll take a look at all these different uh, concepts and what other guys have written about this uh, when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, so anyway, I'll, I'll play a couple of uh, commercials because this is time for that commercial break. And until then, we'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So let's get right into it. Tithing.com website uh, written by Jared Bryan. He states, we hope our tithing resources help inform and encourage Christian believers about following biblical giving that is not bound by tithing, but is sacrificial and cheerful. Our desire is to break all from the bondage legalism and encourage everyone to embrace sacrificial giving led by the Spirit of God. Well, that sounds really good, except for the fact he obviously does not understand tithing. Now, he talks a great deal on the page, and there's a link on my page to his page. Uh, And and we're going to go over some of the things that were at that link. But... uh, Tithing was always voluntary. Yeah, you were supposed to tithe the flow from the 10. And if all things are equal, that might be 10% at the giving. But it's not It's not 10%. doesn't say 10%. It talks about... It gives you symbol like if you were going to give a share of your sheep. And, you'd, and it talks about you let the shoot pick the sheep. You don't pick out, well, uh, you know, I've seen this where a rancher, you, if you work on a ranch, normally you get free beef. That's part of your wages. If you, if you need meat, you get all the meat you want. And so I know a guy who was working for a rancher for a ridiculously low amount of money. And it was a fairly well-off rancher, although he ended up going bankrupt, no doubt. Uh, but... Uh, he went by to get some meat and the rancher went out to his big freezer to get him some meat and he's picking through the meat looking for cuts he doesn't like and giving them to that guy here here's you know here's this here's that and it's all stuff he doesn't like and but he's given that to his hired man and that's why they have all the stuff in about tithing, about shoot and everything, is that don't don't be selfish with your giving. Give you know, give as good as you get. Freely give, freely receive, freely receive, freely give. 
That's all they're trying to say. They're not trying to create some sort of legalism. They're trying to express to you in these explanations the Spirit of God. It's kind of like if you if you have a balcony or a rooftop where people can go up and sit on the rooftop and they say you should put a railing around there. Why? Because it, it could be dangerous without that railing. It should be a stout railing so it doesn't just fall off for the first time somebody leans on it. They're, they're not making building codes. They're telling you that you need to act responsibly, thinking about other people. If you dig a pit, if you have a bull that pushes, that you need to be responsible, thinking about the other guy. And that's what the tithing was. Do you imagine that Abraham, building these altars, like we started talking about in the first part of the show, were building these altars just to kill sheep and set them on fire? And because they he built these altars, when an army came through conquering one city-state after another, and I put up more information about uh, you know that army and how it all works and everything, and these guys drop everything they're doing and go off to fight this army with Abraham, even though they're probably in the clear, they're probably not in danger because they're, they're wanderers out there. They're not in a big city state where they might be gold and silver to steal. But they get together with Abraham and go to fight the, this army because they kill and burn up sheep together. That's where their loyalty came from. I can, I can pretty much guarantee that that's not where, how it works. That's not the way people's minds, when you live out in the wilderness and you're eking out a living, you know, raising sheep or livestock and life is hard and somebody you know said, you know, God will be really happy with you if you pile up these rocks and put dead sheep on it and set them on fire. If you're that dumb, if you're that stupid to think that, you're probably not going to make it in the wilderness anyway. That's not what he was doing. He was setting up a system of social welfare where the power of that system was in the hands of every man. They picked stones, living stones. That's what their words actually mean. And they gave them their offering, their tithe, whatever you want to call it, their free will offering. And they took care of the needy. They saw to the needs of the needy of society. And they circulated. Because that's the that's the hard thing. How do you know this guy says he needs help? This guy over here says he needs help. This guy says he needs lots and lots of help. And he's really in a desperate state and everything. Who do you believe? Who really has the greatest need? Because you only got so much. You just... Guys got a sign there. We've talked about this. These guys go out and sit on the corner. They actually purchase those corners with a share of what they get. They have shifts. They're looking at, oh, it's my shift in 15 minutes. And then I take over the corner. And that other guy goes over and drinks beer with the guys at the uh, parked out there in the Walmart parking lot. They, they are, they're playing you. I've gone up and questioned these guys and asked where they live and where they stay. And, and and there's some guy who's giving them all an address so they can all collect a check. And then he gets a portion of it. That's why, you know, they just interviewed a guy who was a Mexican guy. And 23 children and adults living at his house, according to the IRS. 
but it's only him and his wife and, and one child. They were claiming on their income tax dozens and dozens of dependents. They estimate this goes on all over the United States. It's over $4 billion a year is refunded to people for imaginary children still back in Mexico. But they get to deduct them. And it says nephew, 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 nephew on their income tax form. And they said, we just, we have no way of checking it because they're not here. You know, from what I remember, that you had to have a social security number in order to deduct somebody. But I guess if you're an illegal alien, you get to deduct anybody just by putting down the word that they're your nephew. And the IRS knows that these people are cheating, but they have no way of checking it. It's it's a total sham. It's a total sham. Your taxes, you're bankrupt, you're you're going every every year you vote to go more and more into debt and put your children more and more into debt all because you thought this is the way to go no the kingdom of god is the way to go and the kingdom of god is organized in the tens hundreds and thousands you don't give anything except what you freely give and you give to the one that you think is doing the best job the most work and the most diligent in trying to establish that network of tens, hundreds, and thousands to take care of the needy of society. Because there's going to be a lot more needy someday. And you're either going to feed the zombies, or you're going to take care of one another. You know, all these zombie movies and zombie programs, and uh, I guess the Resident Evil was, a, that's actually a zombie show too. I didn't realize that until just recently. Uh, that whole series, it's all about zombies. That's because that's really what we're dealing with now. Mindless. I mean, that's why if you go to our, we actually have a page on zombies and on it we have a clip from Bob Hope movie back in 1948, I think it was, or 50s, early 50s. And the guy is describing what a zombie is, that he walks around with dazed eyes and uh, soulless, not caring who he hurts, uh, wherever he goes. And I and Bob Hope says, oh, you mean like a Democrat? And so, I mean, it's been around for years. It's just ridiculous. But anyway, let's talk about the solution was this sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And But this guy, his his Social Security, the parents, his parents' Social Security is paid for by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority and borrow against the future. In a one-purse system of socialism. And he's talking about, oh, we don't need tithing. That's because you got taxes. That's because you have to pay tribute. The slothful shall be under tribute. You're under tribute because you're slothful in the ways of God. I don't care whether you call it tithing or you call it charity. That's how Israel was operating. That's how the early Christians were operating. That's not how Rome operated. Rome offered free bread, borrowed money sometimes to get it, uh, pilfered coffers, pilfered other people uh, to get the money to provide that free bread. And they weakened society because your local tens, hundreds, and thousands, Rome used to gather in that same tens, hundreds, and thousands as well. And, you know, that's that's the way they organized themselves in these horths that they called and they saw the Teutons do it, but they had already pretty much forgotten it. They organized their legions in a similar fashion, but the actual society became this total chaos 
but anyway, that's another whole story. Let's see if we can get to some more of this. Uh, uh, like I say, there were interpretations in the Old Testament taught by some people that might fall under the description of legalism because they take this idea of tithings and they make it, oh, you had to tithe. So what was the penalty if you didn't tithe? Were you arrested? Were you put into jail Like if you don't pay your taxes? And why was this big dispute about Christ and taxation and taxes and who? Uh, what was the thing with Corbin? Corbin was supported by taxes by that time. So anyway, the legalism is this excessive adherence to law or formula. Well, what law? Statutory law? You know, civil law? The law that men make for themselves? What law are we talking about? Yeah, and, you know, I briefly talk about statutes and the words that are translated from the word statute, which is chaka and shaka, which is just adding a hey to the end of the same word, meaning ordinances, enacted, decrees, uh, and may translate in a variety of other different ways, including custom, appointed, manners, rights. There, if there's no penalty, it may be a written explanation of an existing natural law put into place by God. It doesn't make it a new law unless, of course, you covenant with people writing the ordinances and say, oh, you be our lawmaker. Our article on Sanhedrin, I don't have a link right here on the page, but there's certainly, you can find it by going up to the uh, search engine and just looking for Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was supposed to be men of the Holy Spirit. To help guide the whole system, the 70. Later on, it became a body to create law. But that was during times of corruption. Jesus appointed, appointed 70. Not to make law. Not to be rulers who exercise authority over you. The law had to be written in your hearts. Well, if I'm going to write it down, a handwritten ordinance, then then you haven't been freed by that uh, that that uh, blotting out of the handwritten ordinances nailed to the cross, which we have links to an article on that explaining what was actually going on. The, the reality is Brian takes care of the needy of his society through legalism, through taxes, through forced contributions, which Samuel said was foolish. Because he has elected men who take and take and take and take and take. I can't unelect those men. Brian can't even unelect those men. But Brian can repent. Start gathering together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and taking care of one another so that you do not need the benefits of Caesar, the free bread of Caesar, the dainties of the king, as it says in Proverbs. Instead of eating of those, you know, he's going to have to start taking care of his parents and start taking care of the needy in his church. And he's going to have to elect ministers who will actually do a good job at that, a thrifty job at that. And uh, ministers who actually preach that the kingdom of God is at hand and we're supposed to be seeking it, which is a system of charity, not a system of force. Of course, he doesn't need tithing in his church. He's got the government. Taxing the heck out of all of his neighbors and borrowing money against the future. That's because the modern Christian is not a real Christian. Because he's under a strong delusion. 
He's still a worker of iniquity. He says, Lord, Lord. Says he believes in Jesus, but he's not doing what Jesus said. And so much of this article, and I'll go through more things that he says, will show you that that is the case. The Pharisees may have been steeped in legalism, but according to Jesus, they did not believe the testimony of Moses. If they had known Moses, they would have known him. And what I'm saying today, if you know Moses and what Moses was setting up, you should know Jesus. But the modern Christian doesn't even know Jesus. They think that Jesus' kingdom of God was not for the living. It's for you when you die and you go to heaven. But the kingdom of God was for the living. That's what he says. And the the early church could have gone and got the free bread of Rome, but they didn't. And that's what, if you, we have links uh, on the Christian conflict. They did not sign up for the welfare system of Rome. And eventually Rome outlawed private religion. Religion again, just the definition of religion. Does Brian know the definition of religion? Do you know the definition of religion? Religion used to be defined as the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man, which is directly connected to what we see James calling pure religion. Pure religion is how you provide for the needy of your society, the widows and orphans of your society, how you take care of them, how you visit them and help them out. Unspotted by the world. Unspotted by the planet? No, unspotted by the constitutional order and system of government. That's the word they use there. That's what it means. They're not using the free bread of Rome. They have their own Eucharist, their own Thanksgiving. That's why the apostles are rightly dividing the bread from house to house in a daily ministration. Does Brian, where's his daily ministration? Down at the welfare office, down at the social security office, down at, you know, um, Medicare and Medicaid. That's how, that's his daily ministration. The heads of those businesses are his priests and his ministers. The guy he sees on the weekend, that's just the guy that's going to tickle his ears and tell him that he's saved and that he's righteous and that he's a good guy. Peter, Paul, James, and John, there's a live link here to an article, warn us over and over again that we have to keep the commandments. Jesus tells us we have to keep the commandments over and over and over again. All kinds of links showing you that that's what we were supposed to be doing, keeping the commandments. The commandments aren't handwritten ordinances of men. They don't have penalties either, but they're describing the nature of God's kingdom. Because the natural law is in place from the beginning. God's not going to curse you if you don't tithe. You're cursing yourself if you don't tithe. Okay, don't want to call it tithe. If you're not charitable. And, of course, that charity has to come from the heart because even tithing had to come to the heart. You know, it tells you in the Bible, you tithe to them according to their service. No service, don't tithe to them. Okay, is Brian's minister taking care of the needy and the widows and orphans of society or is Brian ministers buying a big screen TV for his church? Is he, you know, uh, you know, doing whatever, you know, I don't know if he has a big church or a small church. 
But if he isn't taking care of a daily ministration, rightly dividing the bread from house to house, but sending the people to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority if they have any need or any hunger or any health issues, then Brian should not tithe to those men. He should not be charitable to those men because they're not preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're not servants of the people. They're not feeding the sheep. Oh, oh, we're only supposed to feed the sheep spiritual food, you know. In other words, talk, 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 talk. <laughs> sermon, 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 sermon. No, that's not our job. That's some, some Greek concept of tickling your ears. I'm not interested in doing that. I'm telling you, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. You've returned to the bondage of Egypt, even though Deuteronomy told you to never go back there. I have a few other quotes here from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4.45 These are the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which Moses spake unto the children of Israel after they came forth out of Egypt. Well, you're back in Egypt again. But all these things that he was explaining, and we see the word statutes there. It's not even a good translation of what he was writing down. And even if you... One of the problems is if you look at the word statute a hundred years ago, you know, most, if you went into court, mostly you didn't plead the statute. You pleaded precedent. You know, that's how the lawyer won his case. He talked about, in this case, the jury decided this. And in this case, the jury decided that. And this is much like my client's case. Now, it's just, did he break the statute? You know, did he violate the statute? If he violated the statute, yeah, he's a good guy. He didn't really mean any harm. He didn't hurt anybody. But he violated the statute, so he's going to get fined and go to jail. That's because you're in administrative courts, and we have plenty of articles to show you that. And that's that's where I started this, because, you know, going to work, I was going to court and to my father's off law office back, you know, 60 years ago. And so I understand how the law works, how it's changed, how we went from common law courts to administrative courts to civil courts, and how how we're not a free people anymore. All these things you had to have for people who have lost the freedom that God intended you to have. But you want to say, oh, no, the United States is, you know, and the Constitution is a God-inspired government, had to write a whole book. To show people that the Constitution was extremely flawed. You know how I showed that? I quoted the men who were there. <laughs> Warning you that this document was written as if good men will take office. When the bad men take office, they will steal your rights to ambuscade. And so they have. So anyway, Deuteronomy 5.1 says that Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. But if you turn them into legalism, instead of learning from the precepts that he's trying to explain, you're going to end up like the Pharisees. He's telling you how this system of God works. So anyway, Jesus had all kinds of rules about uh, not making uh, covenants. Of course, that's in the Ten Commandments. 
uh, swearing oaths. Jesus was absolutely against swearing oaths. James said, above all else, stop the taking of oaths. Modern Christians go and take oaths all the time. Because if you don't take those oaths, if you don't swear under penalty of perjury, you can't get no benefits. Even though you know darn well you're getting those benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And now, because everything is operating in debt at the expense of your neighbor's children. But you don't care because you've become accustomed to living at the expense of others. That's not what Christ was preaching. That's not what Moses was preaching. That's not what uh, Proverbs says. You know, don't consent to have one purse where somebody gets to decide what you get to keep and what you get don't get to keep, what you have to pay in. And can force the contributions of the people. You've gone so far away from the gospel of Christ. That you can't even recognize it anymore. So we have lots of links where you can go and read about these different things. Uh, We're going to have to go to another break. But one of the things that he brings up is uh, Malachi 3.9. Ye are cursed with a curse. And this is really where we get into it. Is this. These two words, cursed and curse, are actually two different words that, uh, or at least somewhat different words. You have to understand root words. And we talk about it a lot. So those of you who study regularly are probably starting to get this. But this is way down in, in the 63rd footnote. There may be more footnotes before we're done here. So you can look up a lot of this stuff. But, and I show you in the footnotes a little bit how these words take on their meaning because Hebrew is this unique language where the letters actually have the meaning and when you bring the letters together it's telling you the meaning of the word and so this meaning of the word Elef Resh Resh which is the letters basic letters the root letters Elef is this paradox between God and man you're made in the image of God so as you do things it's automatic like other things are going to come about because that's the way you're created. You know, though the buttons in you were established by God. So it isn't that God is cursing you. You are cursing yourself because it's already preordained. This is where people got this preordained thing. It's preordained that if you go this way, this will happen. If you go that way, this will happen. You still have a choice which way you go. That's about the only choice you have. Once you choose to go down the road of socialism, to to elect men who call themselves benefactors, but only exercise authority one over the other, that's how they can give you benefits. That's how they can give you your free bread, your welfare. It's the welfare that will become a snare that David talks about. The, the king who serves the deceitful dainties that Proverbs talks about. Once you decide to go down that way, you are cursed. I don't care who you vote or elect in. Well, you've already gone down that way. Now, if you want to get the blessing, you have to repent. You have to think a different way. You have to turn around and go the other way. So what that other way looks like is people sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, with the love of Christ in their heart, starting to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Whether you call that charity tithe, or you call it free will offering, it doesn't really make any difference. That's where you're going. 
And that will begin to change. God, it will put, God will actually run out and meet you as you return to his ways. And you will need God to run out and meet you because you'll never make it back on your own. You've gone so far away from the ways of the kingdom of God. Remember, the key to the kingdom of God is what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. You are snared by those bonds. You cannot free yourself. But you can change the way you relate to one another and God will free you. And that's the challenge you have before you. But we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, Elif Resh Resh. What is that word? Arar. Or however you want to say it. Because Hebrew is not made to be pronounced. They eventually made up... uh, all kinds of ways to pronounce these letters, and uh, and their traditional way uh, involves uh, what do they say? A lot of spitting <laughs> and our rolling and all that stuff. But I'm again, like I say, I'm trying to get you to understand the letters so that you understand the meaning. Aleph is this first letter of paradox of God and man, so they're connected. The resh is a process of clarification, and nature will clarify that relationship of God and man. If your relationship with God is fighting and warring against the nature of God, which is the nature of giving life, then the clarification that will follow will seem to be a curse, because we live in this cause and effect universe. If if you war against the nature of God, and the nature of God is a creator of life, a giver of life, but if you war against that and do contrary to that, in other words, you go out and try to take life, that's what socialism is, is taking life, you know, taking a bite out of one another, eating uh, the benefits of men who call themselves benefactors, but they... They do the taking for you. You don't have to take from your neighbor. They'll go out and take from your neighbor and provide you with a benefit. You'll even take from your unborn children. And this gets so extreme. You know you're getting extreme. Down this clarification road to destruction. This curse. When they're not going to wait till the children are born. And then take their life with labor and, uh, you know, those grievous sores that they talk about in Revelation. They're actually going to take their life before they're even born. There's ancient stories of the same thing going on with uh, Nimrod. In the days of Abraham, where he wanted children killed before they were born. At the very early age, we see the same story repeated in relationship to Jesus Christ. They wanted to make sure that no child was left behind or they were killed or or maybe vaccinated. Somebody was just talking today about the fact that, uh, you know, they talk about IQ, that go measure the IQ of those that are vaccinated and those that are not vaccinated. <laughs> that would be an interesting study to see what is the result. Because people, we know thousands and thousands of kids are are injured by vaccines. And the visible injuries that you can actually measure and uh worldwide this goes on all the time some die that which is the severest form of that injury but how many have a fever and they never develop their full capacity 
they they just never fully develop. And you don't know. Maybe this was as smart as he was going to get. But maybe he would have gotten smarter had he not been vaccinated. And I, I just played a commercial on the, the guy who writes the book about how to avoid vaccinations. They will force vaccinations. That is the direction they're going. In. I don't know if they'll have time to get to as much as they wanted to get to, but that's that's where they go. Just like they're they're cheering at abortion. Those are symptoms of how far down the road of evil we have gone. The, and you know how many of those people cheering think they're Christians. Now you didn't cheer, so you must be a Christian. No, what about? How many of you think it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare? How I mean, I just talked to a guy I know is advocating that's our money in Social Security. There is no money in Social Security. It's bankrupt. The whole nation is bankrupt. There is no... It's been ruled since way back in the 30s and the 60s and the 70s. There is no division of funds. If the United States is, is operating in the red, Social Security is in the red. There is no trust fund. That's all just gobbledygook talk. What what Social Security is, what your treasury is, that's the unrighteous mammon because you filled... Mammon means entrusted wealth. What you pay in in taxes, what you pay in uh, to your church are both mammon. They're entrusted wealth. You give money to your church, you give money to your government. That's mammon. Unrighteous mammon is mammon that is obtained to force not through charity. See, until John the Baptist, everybody was building their treasuries through force, either conquering other people or forcing the taxation and the tribute of the people. John the Baptist said, no, do it through charity. Christ continued that same message. The apostles continued that same message. But Brian says it's okay. He wants you to do charity. But most of the needs of the people in his congregation or his church are taken care of by forced offerings. Not by charity. Now he may be a good guy, but he's missing pieces of the puzzle. He's not playing with a full deck. He's not going to get the right answer. So logic that away. Why in the world were Christians persecuted because they wouldn't sign up for the state religion, which was the state welfare system? Remember, the the Bible only talks about religion five times. The word religion five times, four times in a bad sense. So there's a lot of bad religion going around, very little good religion. And good religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. Because that's the fulfillment of your duty to God and your fellow man. Most of the duty to God and to, to his fellow man is taken care of by men who exercise authority. And Jesus said it was not to be that way with us. Flat out, that's the rules. I didn't change them. Modern Christians changed them. So what's the other word that we see? Because there's two words there I said that are cursed and cursed. And the other one is simply era with a mem in front of it and a hey on the end. So that's mem again is the flow. If you go this way, the curse will come. It will flow. It will come. You've gone down this path. It will come. It isn't God says, oh, I'm going to curse you now. It's built in to the system. Is it built in because God's mean? A wrathful God, like we're supposed to believe the Old Testament is a wrathful God. They don't understand these words wrath and the Hebrew and everything. 
Look, you feel pain. You step on a tack, you feel pain. What happens when you feel that pain when that tack is going up into your foot? You take your foot off the tack. (laughs) The pain was a message. You're stepping on something really, really sharp. When you smell something that is, you know, poison and stinking, and you say, well, I'm not going there. When you smell smoke, you know there's danger. You can go put out the fire. So these curses are not to be mean. They're to awaken you to the fact that you're going the wrong way. So, you know, again, whether you're going to call it tithing, or whether you're going to call it uh, charity or fervent charity, it's the same thing. So the so the actual in actuality, the curse is a blessing because it may awaken you to the fact that you're on the wrong path. And the it's it's just the end result. You, and God didn't do it to you; you did it to yourself. God put the law there in place, and that's I, I, he's not changing that. That's that's there for a reason to bring you back to life, to bring you back to the ways of life, to bring you back to God. And so that Elif Resh Resh is the clarification, and when it, and that clarification will flow automatically. So that's what they're really. So what we again we we live in this cause and effect universe. That once you set these things into motion, once you went down this road of socialism, so what you want to do is go back to community, to dependent upon one another for their needs through charity. And I can tell you that it will make people work harder and be more industrious and they will learn more about you. But in order to do this efficiently, you need to sit down in those tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's just, that's just logic. Right, Brian? That's <laughs> just logic. There's no way you you do you. They make up all these rules. We were, I was just talking with other people uh, in the last few days that they have all these rules and these policies and all this stuff. They don't even read their own rules. Uh, some somebody says, uh, oh, I, I don't want to give away who who they were, but you know. All my children and my grandchildren are very involved in society, and and and, the, and they're they have these adventures out there in the world, and they're just shocked that people don't even read their own rules. They don't even know their own rules. They violate their own rules on a regular basis they, because they don't read them. They don't know them. And but my kids seem to you know that they, they have good memories, and so they read the rules, and they actually I guess you know when I was doing a lot of construction work i i read the instructions <laughs> i actually read i could do it mostly without the instructions but before i would do some i would read the instructions on the installation of this particular item or whatever it was but other people don't do that of course they're all vaccinated i don't know if there's a connection <laughs> i don't know everybody doesn't have to be the same amount of smarts uh, same amount of IQ or same amount of intelligence because really the value of a person is not his IQ it's his honesty his morality his loyalty 
to what is right. Because that's what it says. Seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And it's simply not righteous to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare or anybody else's welfare. We were not given dominion over one another. So how do you come together in a nation of individuals? And how do we impose the morality of God? It's already imposed. Somebody asked me if I wanted a law against abortion. I said, there is a law against abortion. What you're saying is, do you want a statute against abortion? <laughs> well, they, they made a statute in one state against abortion. But you can you can have an abortion if it was rape. And my son immediately reading this, because he's getting good at reading laws, uh, probably been good for a long time, he pointed out that you're going to have a, a boom in false accusation of rape <laughs> so that women can take advantage of the the exemption for abortion. So you created one rule to end a problem, but you're you're going to have another rule. That you're going to have to create because you've created another problem with the first rule you made. This is why Tacitus says the more laws, the more corrupt society. Really what he should have said probably, and he probably did it another time, is the more corrupt society, the more the laws. Because the law is not written in their hearts, so they try to write it down. But Christ, and I have a link at the bottom of the page to nailed the handwritten ordinances to the wall. Early Christians ate of the righteous table of the Lord, not the unrighteous mammon of the fathers of the earth. And if you don't know who the fathers of the earth, that's a live link there. You can click on that and find out who they are because you have them again. Most of the control that the government exercises over people is based on parents' patria, the law of the father. The state has become the father to replace the father. So anyway, I, I point out here, I, I quote uh, five different, uh, what uh, Brian says is five reasons why you are cursed for tithing. And this is he's making this up. You're not cursed for tithing. The law was a curse, but what was the law? This was the legalism. You have to remember that the Corbin of the Pharisees, most people don't understand what that was. That's why we had to write a whole article on that. I've got a whole booklet on it. Uh, I'm incorporating more of that into another book. And I quote, and you know, people say, well, that's just you saying it. No, it isn't just me. I show you. I mean, this was common knowledge for centuries. The Corbin was the social welfare of Israel. Corbin just means sacrifice. And the sacrifice of the people were free will sacrifices, free will offerings. And even the tithing was tithed to the Levite of your choice according to his service. No service, no tithing. The power and the reins of control of government are in your hands. But unless God is in your heart, that won't work. So this is not a system for immoral people that I'm talking about. This is a system for moral people. But what you have to realize is that if you're dependent upon men who exercise authority to provide for the needy of your society, if you're dependent upon men who exercise force to take care of the people who don't have enough food, don't have a coat, don't have housing, if you're dependent upon force, and that's what we see them going more and more to, which they call socialism today. Socialism is the religion you get when you lose your religion. 
But what is religion? It's how you take care of the needy of your society. How can you do this unless you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands? You won't know who to give to. You won't know how to rightly divide the bread from house to house. Because there's going to be lots of squeaky wheels. Like the movies that showed the loaves and the fishes. All the people up there, they're just mobbing the apostles. And grabbing their stuff and they're spilling stuff on the ground. First thing you want to do is put an end to that kind of nonsense. That's why Christ said, I mean, just think, 5,000, 20,000, 30,000 people there. He says, okay, first everybody has to sit down in the tens, fifties, and hundreds, and thousands. What? That's going to take all day. Well, it probably took all week, folks. Probably took all week. So, anyway... Uh, first thing he says is obey the law. Uh, obeying the law has a curse upon it. And he quotes Galatians 3.10. And what I've done now is there's live links on the page so you can go there because I'm not going to get through all this before the end of this uh, show. But uh, there's a live link there to Galatians 3.10. And you can go look at Galatians 3 and it has in a side panel there I go down and explain what Galatians was really all about. It's not true that obeying the law is is fulfilling the law. That's what obeying the law means. It's fulfilling the law. How do you fulfill the law? What are the quotes that Jesus gave us about fulfilling the law? Love of your neighbor. Is it loving your neighbor to ask the government to borrow more money against the future of your children? That's not love. Is it loving your neighbor to send men to your neighbor's house to arrest them, to brutalize them if they don't pay their tithe? Oh, excuse me, don't pay their tax. Got to remember, the tithe was a tax. The tax was a tithe. It wasn't forced. There was no penalty if you didn't pay in. But if you were sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you'd know pretty quick who is the generous one and who is the selfish one, who is the hardworking one and who is the lazy one. Who is the honest one and who is the dishonest one? Because you would be in these groups of ten. And those groups of ten pick a minister. And that minister, he doesn't belong to the congregation. The congregation doesn't belong to him. This is a free society. They called them free assemblies. They're not corporations. They're, there's no need to corporate. Which we can go into at another time when we have more time. But... That minister gathers together with nine other ministers like himself. They're his support team. They're his study group. They're his connection to the other thousands and thousands of people that are gathering in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So, as he blesses up the line of who is servant of servant of servants of servants, because these are the ten... Ministers in his congregation, they're all servants of ten. They pick a minister. He is a servant of a, of ten as well. Ten ministers. Therefore, he's the servant of a hundred. And as you go up, then they become servants of thousands. But they don't know thousands. They know the men they serve. So someone says, you know, we need help at our congregation. You have Four congregations that suddenly need help. How do you rightly divide? 
We have to get to know these men. That's a process. And that's why there were feasts. And that's why there were gatherings, to get to know them. And you, you practice this charity instead of practicing covetous. Remember, it's through merchant, you're going to be made merchandise through your covetous practices, according to Peter. Jesus said not to covet. Paul said not to covet. James said not to covet. Moses said not to covet. The all day, but suddenly now it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods if you do it through socialism. Through the legalism of government. There's nothing more legalism than government collecting from your neighbor to provide you with welfare. That's the welfare that is a snare that David told you about, that Paul told you about, that Proverbs told you about, that Malachi told you about, that Jeremiah told you about, that all the Gospels talk about. So, Paul knew religion was about remembering the poor, the needy of your society. Not just people down there on Skid Row. Some of those people down on Skid Row, you should not help them. You're making them weaker and weaker. Caring for the welfare of the people was done through a daily ministration of charity in the New Testament. Caring for the welfare of the people today in most churches is mostly done by the fathers of the earth, the benefactors who exercise authority, and the men who will be tyrants over you. Once you understand that little basic thing, then you go back and read Galatians 3.10, you're going to get a different answer, a different view. But if you're just going to excuse it, well, no, that's government. That has nothing to do. It's called the kingdom, kingdom of God. He says to the Pharisees who were in the seats of Moses, the seat of government at the time, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. I'm going to appoint it to another group that will bear fruit. How can, how can, how do they bear fruit? They bear fruit because they do it by charity, by love, by service, by sacrifice, free will sacrifice, not forced sacrifices. If you're doing it by forced sacrifices, you've betrayed John the Baptist, you've betrayed Jesus Christ. You betrayed all the apostles. You betrayed all the early Christians. And you're, 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 you can say, Lord, Lord, all you want. You can sing all the songs you want. But you're a worker of iniquity. In the second line, he says, you are fallen from grace. Galatians 5, 4, 6. And I, I've added more to that page so that you can understand. We fall from grace when we sell our liberty. Our God-given endowed rights of liberty, the right to choose for free bread, for the benefits and the wages of unrighteousness. All those are live links. You can go to articles that explain what is the wages of unrighteousness. It's the benefits that come to you from the unrighteous mammon. Those benefits are unrighteous. They're wages. I mean, you look at the word wages and we study, you know, we look into that. When we look into that, uh, when you go to that live link. But these were all offered, the wages of unrighteousness were offered by Cain, Nimrod, Pharaoh, Herod, Caesar. And anyway, there's four or five more, and then I go into the blessings, but you get the drift. And we'll put this up so that you can see it and, uh, hear this audio. Uh, but until then, I'm gonna have to say peace on your house. And may God be with you.
گردو است You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.